Go ahead, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 36 and 37 this week. Um, For those who are part of our church family, you know that we've been going through the book of Acts. These are the last two verses in the book of Acts. I cannot promise you that means that we will not be in Acts chapter 4 next week, though. So we'll just see what God wants to do and how he wants to speak there. Um, But I'm excited for this word. Um, Can I be honest with you? When God challenged me to preach through Acts, um, there was a few stipulations he challenged me with. One of those was study what I give you to study and be ready for it. But don't, this is going to sound weird, don't plan it. And what I mean by that is there's, there's times that pastors will have like a whole year preaching calendar ready to go before the year even begins. And um, he challenged me not to do that because he wanted some freedom to speak and to move. And so the truth is, is that there's times I don't know what is coming next week exactly or the week after until Monday comes around and I dig in and pray and study and get into the word even deeper. And what all that to say is this, is that I love that because when we have times like this, I clearly see where the word of God is fully supporting what we're celebrating today. I didn't say, let's put baptism Sunday on the week that we touch this verse, or let's make sure we preach this verse on the week we do baptism Sunday. It wasn't considered or planned, and yet God knew all along. So we're going to be in verse 36 and 37. It simply says this, thus Joseph, they just got done speaking about how all the believers had everything in common and sold everything to give to those who had need. And it says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, he was of the tribe of Levi, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. If there was a verse I want to highlight, if, if you're one of those highlighting in the Bible people still, I would encourage you to highlight who was called by the apostles Barnabas. Because that's what God had highlighted to me in the scripture. And and if you're taking notes, the message today's title is receiving a new name. Simple question is, how are you known? There's something powerful that happens to a believer when we encounter God in a new way and in a real way. It happens. We see it from Old Testament to New Testament. When Abraham encountered God, in a powerful and real way, when he heard the voice of God and he received it for his own, Scripture says that he became Abraham from Abram. Sarai became Sarah. When Jacob encountered God in a really real and tangible way and he wrestled with him and he fought with him to a place of transformation and new life, it says that God honored him and he said, you are no longer Jacob a deceiver, but you are now Israel. And we see it continued when, when Jesus had come across Peter and Peter had encountered God in a very real way. Jesus said, who do you say I am? Others say I'm a prophet. Others say I'm Elijah. Others say that I am, I am the, the forerunner. Who do you say I am? He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He understood an encounter, a transformation. And so Jesus said, you are now no longer Simon, but Peter. When Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus in a powerful and real way, he went through a transformation that said, you are no longer Saul, but Paul. There is something that happens in a believer's life when you encounter God in a real way, that who you were is no longer who you are. He gives us a new name. And not every single one of us walks away after salvation prayer or after a baptism and says, you know what, my name is not Justin anymore. I want to go ahead and be going 
going by uh, Timothy. It doesn't happen in the physical sense anymore very often. But there's still something in our spirit that changes and transforms that says who Justin was yesterday, not only can it not be who I am tomorrow, but it already is not. I've already been changed. I've already been transformed. I've already been made new. I've already been made whole. And this is what we get to celebrate today on Baptism Sunday. Because we've got four people ranging from young elementary students to people with a little bit more experience in life. And we get to see the spread of it because God's not a respecter of persons. He's not a respecter of experiences. I don't mean to offend. Um, but he doesn't, it doesn't matter. What, what I'm simply saying is this, is the person who knew Jesus for five minutes before they died. He honors and transforms and makes new, just like the person who lived their whole life for him. It's not a time thing. It is a, a heart thing that says, Lord, I've wrestled it out. I fought this thing. And I know that I know that I know that you are the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world and that you know me as I am more than you knew me as who I was. Because there's a thing that happens when, when we are created. Scripture tells us that we are created with a plan and a purpose in mind that he knew us when we were still yet in the mother's womb and before. And so when God creates us and forms us in his hands, don't, don't be under the illusion that he's not still forming us in his hands before we're birthed into this world. He still does it like he did with Adam and Eve. It's just a different kind of form. But he forms us and he knows us and he creates with a purpose. And he knew us at our truth. He knew us at our purest. He knew us at our potential long before the enemy destroyed us in the flesh. And so we get to celebrate that he is not making us just somebody completely different. He's restoring us to who we were always supposed to be. He's restoring us to the place of purpose and the place of power and the place of planning and the place of truth and of purity. That's what happens when we wrestle with God and say, Lord, I realize now the lies that the enemy has poured into my life. I realize that you are the truth and you are the way and we're restored into being new. We receive a new name. And this morning, as I give a quick message before the baptism start, I want to challenge and encourage and ask the simple question of, how are you known today? How are you known? As a believer, is your life so different from the place of professing and accepting Christ that those around you would know you as somebody completely new? Do they look at you and they say, this is no longer, no longer is this Joseph, but it's Barnabas. That's not a Simon. That's Peter. That there's something inside of you that has become so alive and so real and so transformed that people can no longer identify with who you were. To me, one of the greatest honors, and I don't know that people realize this, but I thank God for when I meet somebody and I get to know them and then they share their testimony with me about who they were and where they came from, and I would have never known it. That is a powerful testimony. When you can tell me that you are the scum of the earth, and I would have never guessed it because all I ever saw was Jesus. That's the transformation, the power that we are called to and that he gives us. How are you known? There's two ways that we can see throughout Scripture, and even in this alone, that I want to point out as we get ready to re-identify four people today. 
four people get to have a new name. It took place in the spirit, and now publicly they get to profess a new name today. They get to be known as somebody new and different. They have a new story. But there's two ways that we are often known in the spirit and in the physical, and the simple one is this, is that we need to understand that we're identified by our words. We're identified by our words. And in verse 36, it says, Thus Joseph, who is called Barnabas, why? Which means the son of encouragement. There was something that happened in Barnabas when he encountered Jesus. He quit seeing the things that were detrimental and deadly and sick within people's lives. He quit seeing that. Instead, he started seeing people with the eyes of Jesus. And he began to encourage them and to speak life into them and to build them up and to say, I don't care where you've been. This is what God has said about you. He encouraged them so much so that they no longer saw Jesus or Joseph in him, but they saw encouragement in him. They saw life in him. They saw power in him. His words identified him as somebody who is an encouragement. His word identified him as somebody who speaks life over people. His words identified him as somebody who speaks the very nature of Jesus over people. Our words identify us. In James chapter 1, verse 36, it says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That word bridle means to lead or to guide, to restrain and hold and check. I want to remind us of something that we often forget. We control our tongues. We do. So when our tongues speak death, we chose to do that. When our tongues speak life, we chose to do that. They weren't just taken over. It was a choice that we made, an action we chose to step into. And so we're called in true religion and true purity and true faith to truly imitate Jesus as a new creation, as a new person, as a new name. We are called to control our tongues. We're called to keep it in check. Anybody ever been like on Facebook or on a text and you get angry and you type out a paragraph and right before you hit send, you're like, mm, better not. <laughs> and you delete the whole thing? Am I the only one? No. Jesus has... <laughs> Sinner. Jesus has saved me a few times from that. The grace of God has allowed this pastor to still be able to minister more times than one by simply deleting a text. We don't get to delete our words. Once they're spoken, they're there. They can never be taken back. They can never be returned. They may be forgiven, but a scar is left behind. Our words have to be bridled. They have to be led. We have to walk in the spirit ahead of our tongue, ahead of our words. And the truth is that we're always leading it. We're never following our words. We're always leading them. The question is, why what spirit are we leading them? By what spirit are we leading them? Because the words we speak are an indication of our identity by what's leading us. So when we speak the word of God, when we speak encouragement of God, when we speak the truth of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, we are showing that we are being led and following the Holy Spirit. I have been made new and my identity is in Christ. 
But when my words start matching that of the flesh, that of the enemy, when I start speaking resentment or rage or condemnation or judgment against somebody, I start showing the spirit that I'm following. I start showing that I've veered from the Holy Spirit. So when I can bridle my tongue in those moments of frustration, in those moments of anger, in those moments of irritation, those moments of pain and sorrow and grief, if I can bridle my tongue and get ahead of this thing and say, stop, I demonstrate the power of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We, don't, we kind of like to forget the very last one that's called self-control. Self-control. We are in a co-laboring partnership with Christ. And a lot of our co-labor is self-control. Where we learn to put aside the flesh, the nature of the enemy that attacks us day after day, when we can bridle it and hinder it and mute it and put it in check. And we can allow the Holy Spirit to move powerfully through us. I tell you, I know some of us, <laughs> and let's make it more personal, I know me. Sometimes I show Jesus more by what I don't say than what I do say. Self-control, it shows and demonstrates the identity of who we are by the Spirit we follow. Colossians 3, 8 through 10 says it this way, but now you must put them all away. What is it? It is anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. Do you see that? You put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, your new name, your new identity, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Your words illustrate your identity. Your words give illumination to who you follow and who you live by. When we are a new creation made alive in Christ, our words must bring life through Christ. And the second way that we can understand how we're known is simply understanding that our actions establish our identity. So our words may identify us, but our actions establish us. There's an old saying that's very, very cliche, but its truth is there nonetheless. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The words are shallow if our actions don't back it up. We are called to be a church of action. In fact, it says in verse 36 that they knew him as Barnabas, a son of encouragement, but his actions backed up his identity. Because in verse 37, it says that he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was about it. He was about doing his father's business. It wasn't just a spoken word. It was truth to him. It was alive to him. It meant something to him. And it drew him to a place of action and a place of sacrifice. It drew him to step out, to not just only speak it, but to live it. Our actions are established by our identity, or they establish our identity. In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, James is speaking a powerful word. Anybody ever read the book of James from the perspective of the church he wrote the letter to? If you haven't read it from that perspective, I encourage you to change it. Because sometimes we like to read people's correction as if it's somebody else's. It's like, oh, brother and sister just got whooped. Read it from your perspective that he's writing it to you. 
It hurts, but it's life-giving and transforming. So he's writing this strongly corrective letter, and he says, what good is it, my brothers? <laughs> you already know the question is going to be loaded. What does it even matter? What good does it do? If someone says he has faith, but it does not have works. What is he saying? He says, it's pointless if you're going to go around talking about your faith and you do nothing about it. For if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be filled and warm, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Can I tell you one of my biggest pet peeve songs when it comes to Christmas time is, do you see what I see? I can't stand that song. I'm sorry if that makes me look like a sinner. Um, <laughs> but I can't stand it. It drives me nuts because you have this song and it's like, a child, a child shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. That's going to fix the problem. That, that does a lot of good. And that's the way we fix things. Because as Christians, we can sound super holy and super pure and super godly. If we're like, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God gives you an answer. I just will not be that answer. He has given us everything we need to be his hands and feet on the earth around us. And so if we look at somebody who's hurting and broken and God has given us the ability to be about it, we need to do it. Remember a few weeks back we talked about it's time to not just live or speak boldly, but to start living boldly. We need to make sure that the actions we take support the words we speak. Our words identify us. Our actions establish us. It says, if they say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The very thing that brings us into salvation with Christ, faith, it's dead if you do not live based upon your faith. What does that mean? Can I be blunt and honest for a second? That means that a lot of people who say they're Christians aren't. Because they spoke a word, but never did anything with it. Our actions have to support our words. We cannot have a dead faith and live as a living testament. It's not possible. Our words identify us. Our actions establish us. The words alone, they they cannot, they are not, and they never will be enough in this life for Christ. can't just talk about it. We can't, because the Word of God, Jesus himself has commanded us to be about it. In fact, he says that I am here. I don't do anything aside from the Father. I'm, I'm about my Father's business. Remember when Jesus ran away from Mary and Joseph as a child, and they found him at the temple, asking questions and gleaning knowledge and wisdom? And he said, why did you wonder where I was? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Could you imagine if everything we did was responded with in the same truth and the same passion? Why would you wonder what I was doing? Why would you be curious about where I was or what I was doing or what I was saying? Don't you realize that everything I do has to be about my father's business? If that's how we lived and how we were driven, how much more powerful would the church be in destroying the works of the enemy in the world around us? We can't just be about saying the Father's words. We have to be about the Father's business. In John 3.36, Jesus is speaking. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Remember the hard word I said a little bit ago? If you profess Jesus, but you do nothing with it, your faith is dead. If your faith is dead, you're probably not a believer, not a true Christian. He supports it. If you believe in the Son of God, but you don't obey Him, if you don't do anything with it, the wrath of God remains on you. What that means is that nothing has changed. Nothing's changed. We can't say we truly believe in Jesus if the knowledge of Him doesn't move us to living and acting and moving and speaking in His power and His love for the world around us. I can tell you that I've had a lot of years of my life where I have professed Jesus. In some of those years, that's all I did was professed it. And then some of those years, I couldn't do anything but move. What was the difference? There was a point in my life between professing and doing that I actually encountered him, that I actually really knew him. I didn't know about him. I didn't hear a story about him. He wasn't the God of my father anymore. He was my God. Do you know that when Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, he said, I am the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. That's where it stopped. I'm the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. I'm not your God. But then when Isaac, not Isaac, but whenever Joseph and them came along future, he said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What happened? He encountered him for himself. He no longer heard about the God of his father. He met the God of his father. And there's something powerful that happens in that when we live it out, when we're about the business, when we actually step out and we actually move and we actually walk and we wrestle with God and we live and we obey and we move, then a powerful thing happens to us where it's impossible. I want to understand the strength of what I'm saying. It is impossible to know God and not to live like him. Impossible to know Jesus and not do what he did. Because when you truly know him, you're moved by everything he's about. He moves us. Actions are just as necessary for our identity and for who Jesus is as our words are. They're just as necessary. They have to live together. Our words have to align with his, but our lives have to live like his. They have to coexist. John 14, 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you. Remember, before I told you anytime Jesus has to repeat himself, you probably need to listen. If he starts it off with truly, truly, you better turn your ears on. I remember being in daycare, and it's like, are you listening? Are your ears on? Turn your ears on for a moment. Don't just hear me, listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. I want you to understand, I'm trying to get you to understand that this is the word of God. This is the will of God. This is the truth of God. I'm not trying to condemn or smack around anything. I want us to understand the, the, the gravity of this. That if you truly believe in me, you will do the works that I do. And here's what's awesome. Here's the grace and the goodness and the power of God. And greater works than these will you do. Because I am going to the Father. The love of God in us should be so moving that not only do we act out and move and live like Jesus, we can actually do greater things than he did. And that's not me being blasphemous or heretical. Heretical, heretic. Wow. 
That was a fun one. Edit that out. Um, but it's not just me being this religious blasphemer. I want you to hear Jesus' words himself. It is his desire that we do greater than he did. I don't want my son to do half the things I did for God. I want him to do twice as much as I did minimum. When Elijah poured out his, his anointing to Elisha when he was caught up, it said he was given twice. Twice the anointing. Twice the power. We do an injustice to our children, and we do an injustice to the world around us, and we do an injustice to the kingdom of God when we allow them to say, I just hope and pray I'm half the man my father was. I have failed them if I let them think that way. If you are not twice the man I am, I have failed you. We have to be about the greater things. We have to walk in the greater. We have to walk in the power and the anointing and the authority, and we have to be about it. We can't be a church of just talking. If Israel had only shouted at the front of the door and didn't walk around the building, the walls would have stood. If they would have walked around the building without shouting, the walls would have stood. It's living together in harmony with our identity being solidified in what we speak and how we live.